before we officially begin the sermon. I'm going to preface it the same way I preface all of my other sermons. I told Brandon I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it anyways. I want to encourage everybody that if anything I say ruffles your feathers or offends you in any way, that before you react and get offended, to pause and take time before God, and then just come and talk to me. We can talk it out, okay? Because my, my uh, purpose in, in preaching ever is not to offend. It's just to preach God's word, which I guess can be offensive sometimes. Where we're going to start this morning is in a passage that we all probably know, and if you're new to the Bible, it's the very first chapter of Genesis. It's the very beginning, so we're going to turn to Genesis 1, verse 26, and it's also going to be on the screen, and I want us to read it together. I want us to actually read it out loud, because that uh, shows that you're awake, that you're actively listening and that we're all reading the same thing together, okay? So we're going to start in verse 26. It says, Then God said, I'm not hearing other people read along. (laughs) Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and all over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You guys are awesome. Good job. I think to understand the message that God has placed on my heart this morning, we need to start with one simple truth in these verses. And that's that we are made in the image of God or in scholarly terms, the Imago Dei. This truth is fundamentally important to understand moving forward because in this truth we realize two things. First, that through us, God's plan comes to completion. This term is not used to describe any other creation of God's. But in recognizing that we are the Imago Dei, we realize that we have special qualities that God bestowed on us that is not on any other creature. The second thing we realize in the Imago Dei is that we are a testimony of God's care and love for humankind. Humans differ from all other creations of God because we have the ability to self-realize. We have the ability to manifest God because we are one with him. We have the ability to have a spiritual relationship. And in all creation, no one else has that ability. Isn't that amazing? On top of that, in the realization of self, we have the ability to choose whether or not we want to have fellowship with God. Some in the world, I've heard, argue that God is sick and cruel for giving us the ability to choose him or not. But I argue the exact opposite. I personally don't have the privilege of children at this point in time, but many of you do here. And as a parent, when you bring a child into the world and you raise them up, you hope that they'll love you in return, correct? You hope they'll make good choices and that as they are an adult, you will then be able to have a friendship with them. But you also know that there's the possibility that may not happen. They may choose not to love you and they may choose to not even have a relationship with you. 
but you still choose to bring that child in the world, correct? Because you love them. God has that same feeling with us. He loves us and he wants us to love him in return, but he's not going to force it. In these truths, we can also realize, this mic is being weird. (laughs) In these truths, we can also realize that being made in the image of God, we have the responsibility and ability to think rationally, to create abstract thoughts, and the ability to create a glorious and peaceful world. But as we can see by the testimony of our world, the Imago Dei has chosen to create a world of fallen chaos. And I know many will quickly try to rebuke me and say that Satan is the sole proprietor of this, but I only kind of agree with that because we have the ability to choose whether or not to follow into that temptation, correct? Many times, the church, and I'm using capital C, not this church specifically, many times when I say church throughout this sermon, it's not going to be talking about this church, just the church in general. We've chosen to remain silent when we needed to speak up, and we've been outspoken when we needed to be silent and listen. Personally, I'm very disturbed by the condition that many Christians are in. We see so many Bible-believing churches straying farther and farther away from the Bible in favor of worldly pleasures, and many others doing the exact opposite and foaming at the mouth at the first opportunity to point out sin in others. And when I see both sides of the spectrum, it really makes me wonder what Bible they're reading from and what God they're serving. Because I don't see God ready, foaming at the mouth to condemn us. And I also don't see him conforming to the world and and the image that the world has to offer. We're now going to turn to 2 Corinthians 4. It'll also be on the board if you don't have your Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. I'm trying to make it simple for everybody. It says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There that word is again. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ. I love that passage. See, I think these verses speak truth to both sides. Remember I talked about the spectrum. If you have to distort the word of God to have your ministry, then you're not doing the ministry of God. 
you're leading a brigade of people to hell. And I know that makes people uncomfortable because for whatever reason from the pulpit, we don't talk about hell and sin anymore because it's not uh, politically correct. It, it makes people offended. But that's the reality of it. That's the truth, is that when you have to distort the word of God, you're not doing the ministry of God. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here because I think that this is a controversial issue that the church either turns its back on or accepts in fully, okay? And there is, wow, this Mike and I are having issues today. <laughs> There's a really popular saying in the LGBT community that I'm born this way. I'm born gay or lesbian. And I want to say that that's correct because we're born into sin. That is a correct saying. They're correct in saying that. Where the issue comes in is when you say, God made me this way, because God didn't make us with sin. He made us perfect, the Imago Dei. Remember? Remember how we talked about that in the beginning? We are all naturally inclined to something in some form or another. Some of us naturally are liars or manipulators, and we have to actively combat against that. For many of us, before we were believers, or even as believers, we try to find ways to justify our urges and temptations, but because we are the Imago Dei, we know that maybe there's something more to us than just those temptations. Maybe there's something more to our life than just our basic urges. We know that we're called to something deeper than just fulfilling our desires of right now. I will be transparent and share a very intimate part of myself that I don't often share with others, but I think it's important when you are at the pulpit to be transparent. I come from a very long line in my family of mental health issues. I myself have been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, clinical anxiety, and persistent depressive disorder, which is just a really fancy, fancy way of saying high-functioning depression. <laughs> I have tried to kill myself numerous times, and I have been in counseling multiple times, and been on a multitude of medications, okay? I'm being transparent with you all. That is the reality of it. I was born this way, but it's the effects of sin in the world. I obviously didn't choose to have these issues, but when I leave it, or when I don't leave it alone, when I just let myself fester in, in these issues, I often find myself falling into different sins, different temptations to try and block that urge rather than taking it straight to God. I personally found God in one of my biggest depressive episodes of my life. And it wasn't just because God came to me. It's because Pastor Mike was my youth pastor, and I happened to go to a youth group one night, and he was busy making disciples. I, even to this day, continue to struggle with suicidal ideation. That is the reality of it, is when you have a hormone imbalance in your brain, that's just something you struggle with. But I found a way to conquer that sin in my life is to cling to God harder. I share this 
Because we all have a sin in our life or sins in our life that is consuming, that eats us. It shapes our identity until we encounter Christ and he comes and rocks that identity up. Can I get an amen for that, people? Come on. We're talking about Christ here. (laughs) He restores us. He reforms us and he redeems us. Our identity is more than just our struggles or temptations. We are more than just alcoholics. We are more than just our sexual identity. We are more than just prideful jerks. We're more than just lying thieves. We're more than that because we are the Imago Dei. Sometimes I do want to, I want to recognize this for people because some people will say, well, I've, I've had God and I still struggle with this. Yes, you do still struggle with it because it's not like a one and done. He's not just like, okay, you're done. Bye, you're perfect now, right? We struggle with this for our entire lives. Some people will just have an immediate, I've heard some people that have struggled with alcohol. Mike, Pastor Mike can talk about this. He struggled with alcohol. He became a Christian. God took that away. He wasn't an alcoholic anymore. And that is incredible. And I want to recognize God does have that ability. But that's not the case for everybody. And Paul's thorn can testify to that. In Corinthians, Paul talks about how he had a thorn in his side and he begged God to take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And we need to identify that in our sin, God's grace is sufficient for us. Church, I'm going to come back to this. We have failed in our response to the LGBT community. We were so quick to call out the sin without knowing the whole person, without responding in love, and without discernment. I have many, many friends and family that are caught up in that lifestyle. And contrary to some belief, you can, in fact, be friends with gay people. You can. You can be a Christian and also be, fr- be friends with them. Just like you can be a Christian and also have alcoholic parents. <laughs> it, it's not a mutually exclusive thing. They can coexist. In fact, I think you ought to be friends with these people because that's how you disciple others. It's not like... It's mind-blowing to me sometimes when I see that there are still some churches out there that are preaching a gospel of hate and suicide, telling people struggling with this sin to go kill themselves instead of knowing them and calling things out in love. In fact, it breaks my heart. We're going to turn to James 3, verse 9. Because uh, verse 9 and 10 Those verses state that we cannot or we should not curse the Imago Dei and also praise God with the same mouth. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we also curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth came praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. That passage also talks about how of a cursed thing the tongue is because we can praise God with one thing, with our tongue, and also hate and curse others that are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. You guys are going to know that word by the end of today. (laughs) 
by now, I think the entire world knows where the church stands on this specific sin issue. We haven't made it a secret. But let me ask you, does the, no, does the world know where the church stands on other sins? Proverbs 6 clearly states that God hates and even detests haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness, and a person that stirs up conflict. It says God detests those things. There, whoa. There are a lot of interesting things here. Okay, so manipulation, murder of the innocent, pride. Those are the sins that are identified in that passage. What's even more interesting here is two of the seven things listed are about lying, a lying tongue. It's a lying tongue and a false witness. Those are about lying. What we see from this is God hates things that will disrupt, disturb, or cause communion to be broken within the community without reason. And the, I'm using communion here because it's the sharing of or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. So God hates it when communion is disrupted. When we are in community, we're able to be vulnerable and intimate with one another. That's what's so beautiful about the church and the congregation is that I know I can go to any of you and say, I'm struggling, I need prayer in this area. And instead of being met with condemnation or a scolding, I know that hands will be laid and you'll pray for me. That's a beautiful thing. But God hates it when that is disrupted. And it brings me to this thought. If God detests lying and pride, why do we as the church unconditionally support so many political figures and celebrities that are known liars and incredibly prideful? Why do we do that? We even go so far as to defend them because they have a hard job. I've heard many Christians say that. Well, they have a really hard job. It's really hard doing this thing. But I want to know this. If they are not actively glorifying God in their job, then why are you so concerned? I see people quicker to defend a politician than I see them to defend a pastor. And I want that to be a sobering thought. Church, it's time. It's time that we wake up. Did you know that in my generation, I'm a millennial, I know we get, we make avocado toast, whatever. In my generation, this is an old statistic from 2017, so three years ago, it could change. But only 50% of millennials would say that they believe in God, which that's actually a pretty good statistic. I'd be curious to see what it is now in 2020, but 50% of millennials would say they believe in God, but only 30% of that 50 would say they attend church somewhat regularly. And I can tell you why because I'm a millennial. It's because there's a certain hypocrisy coming out of the church. 
And I know that that could be offensive, but there is. There's a certain hypocrisy within the church, and we're about to lose an entire generation. Because Gen Z, the generation right after me, my brothers are a part of it, less than 10% say they believe in God. Is that sobering? Less than 10% say they believe in God. And it's not because God is less active. It's because we are failing at the two greatest commandments. Love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Church, it should not shock others when they find out you are a loving Christian. The church is not a yacht club. We don't look for the elite. We don't look for perfected versions of people. We look for those humble enough to acknowledge that they may not have everything together, and that's okay. I don't know, can anybody in here raise their hand and say they have everything figured out and they're, they know what they're doing? That's good, I'd wing it every day. I'm like, huh, I don't have a plan, we're gonna wing it. I see the heartache that is filling our world. I see how churches are responding. And I see that, that they don't always line up with scripture. And I'm trying to prevent our church from doing that. I don't think that we are, but I see, again, on the spectrum, I see either churches accepting false doctrine and allowing craziness and even occultish behavior into the church, or I see them closing their doors and saying, nobody is welcome here unless you fit this category. It's time that the church, capital C, uses the spirit of discernment and love. It's time that we respond instead of react. No more reacting. We gotta stop doing that. Because when we react, like when you, when you and your spouse are arguing, or you and a parent are arguing, are you guys going, okay, I see how you feel about this issue. This is how I'm going to respond to it. No, you're going, listen here, you jerk. I'm tired of you leaving the spoon up in the sink so that when I turn the faucet on, the water sprays me, right? We, when we are reacting instead of responding, we're not using discernment and we're not using love. James 1, verse 19 and 20 speak on that. So it's not even just my words, it's biblical. Verse 19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't say that anger is bad. It says that human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Because God gets angry. We know that. Because we are the Imago Dei, people see God in us. That means that how we react, respond, hold ourselves, 
and live is a direct communication to others of who God is. I'm going to repeat that. How we react, respond, hold ourselves, and live is a direct communication to others of who God is. People see God in us before they know God themselves. Let that change your behavior. That's why the Bible is so strict on living a godly lifestyle. Because we are a walking testimony of who God is. Examine your life, how you hold yourself, and how you speak to others, and tell me, is it portraying the God of the Bible accurately? Church, we need to repent. We're praying for revival, but we need revival in our own hearts first. I know that that's something that we've been praying for at this church. God just kept telling me, are you guys glorifying the Imago Day?" And I'm not saying any of you aren't. I know I don't always. So it's always when, when God gives us a message to preach, it's preaching to us before it's preaching to anybody else. And I know that I don't always glorify the Imago Day, So it was convicting for me. We need revival in our own hearts first. I want to end with these verses from Romans 8, because when I've had this conversation, or a conversation similar with some Christians about this topic, I've heard things like, well, the secular world is so mean. They're so mean. They, they're mean to me. They judge you for being a Christian before they get to know you. And I try not to laugh, but like, friend, they don't have God. Of course they're not going to welcome you in. It's contrary to the lifestyle they want to live. Of course people are going to judge you. The Bible straight up says you're going to be persecuted. You have to be the different one, not them. You have been transformed and your mind renewed. So it doesn't matter how mean, how vile, or how badly you're persecuted, because the Bible tells us to pray for those who, who persecute us, doesn't it? Romans 8, verse 5 is where we're starting off. It speaks about this topic, and I hope that you see it as an encouragement. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, so that was encouraging, but we're going to finish this out now. This is the ultra, ultra encouraging part. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Wow. How incredible. Just let that settle for a second. That, in, that when God was creating mankind, he didn't just say, you're like all my other creations. You're good. But you're like all my other creations. He said, I'm going to make you in my likeness and in my image. I'm going to sculpt you after me, and you're going to share in my glory. Wow. Don't we serve an amazing God? Brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me in prayer now. Father God, I want to start this prayer off with thanks. Thank you for creating us in your likeness, in your image. Thank you for giving us the ability to think, to have abstract thoughts. And thank you for creating us to share in your glory, God. We love you so much. And I, myself, am always floored when I read these verses because it just blows my mind that you had everything planned from the beginning. And even with human intervention, even with sin, you still find a way to redeem us. God, thank you for that. Father, I, I want to repent personally, and I imagine others here do as well, that we haven't always treated your creation the way that you have commanded us to. I'm sorry that out of my mouth has come praise for you and also curses for my brothers and for my sisters in Christ and for those that are not in Christ as well. I repent of that, God. And Father, we as a church, as the church, repent as well for our response to those who are stuck in a lifestyle of sin. Instead of responding how even Jesus responds with the woman at the well. We often respond in our human anger. And we see that it does not produce the righteousness of God. Father, forgive us for that as well. Lord, I pray that you would be with us all. I pray that you would be giving us a renewed spirit so that we can start off fresh, ready to go out into the world making disciples, making friendships and making disciples with those that oppose us with those that are different from us, with those that have different beliefs from us, God. Because as we read, you didn't give us a spirit to live in fear again, 
You, brought, you gave us a spirit to live in adoption of you. And when we have you on our side, there's nothing we can't do. That's just a simple way of putting it. So God, be with us. We pray that you'd be with uh, those that are sick. We have quite a few on our list. I know one of them is even my grandpa who was diagnosed with COVID. Um, God, I, just, I lift these sick people or those that are on vacation up to you. Would you just have your hand of protection and healing on them? And I pray for Mike and Aaron as they are out on their vacation. God, would you just renew their spirits as well as they get away? Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.